The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily of ausleisure.com.au. This podcast covers the subject of alcohol consumption and as such is aimed at adults, although it does not contain any subject matter that would be offensive to children. Ausleisure.com.au and all participants remind our listeners that alcohol should always be consumed responsibly. It's a fine time to have a drink. Maybe with some mates for a date sounds good now, don't you think? Forget the world, don't worry about money. Let's be pleasure seekers, honey. And let's check the grapevine for advice. Oh, yes, indeed. A frosty beverage might be what you really need. Will it be red or white? Which way to go at all looks good tonight? Let's check the grapevine for advice. So welcome back to episode three of the Oz Leisure Grapevine. I'm in the studio again with Greg. Hello, Greg. Hi, Richard. Good to have you back here. Thank you very much. And, Greg, what are we going to talk about in this episode? Um, tonight, I thought we'd talk about uh, cellaring advice and how to set up your cellar and why do we need a cellar. And um, also, I thought I'd throw the issue around as well because it's closely connected of uh, Stelvin caps and corks and which yeah. one is better and how do they affect wines. And That's a good question. So I thought we'd put both yeah. in together and, and talk about this as one issue. Well, great. All right, well, let's, uh, let's kick off. Then um, what, I suppose the first question is, what, what's a cellar? Well, um, a cellar can be anything from three to six bottles under the bed to something <laughs> that's carefully maintained, you know, $45,000 underground job. Um, I think most of us have fallen into that category of just having... Bottles stashed away either in the cupboard or the wardrobe or, um, heaven be forbid, we've got them some in the kitchen, which is not the right thing, and I'm going to explain about that later. But uh, I think, you know, if we've got a small cellar, um, which a lot of us like to run and just have a few good bottles or wine racks or things like that, uh, and more common nowadays, we're seeing a lot of wine fridges emerge, which are becoming quite popular. And uh, we'll talk about this when we talk about some of the cellaring conditions, I'll go into some of the different uh, areas that we can look at and how to cellar. Great. So why do we need to store wines away, Greg? What, right. what's, what's the reasoning behind Basically, that? the purpose of storing wines is to improve the wine's quality and we want to get more out of that wine in long-term future use. So whether it be a white wine or a red wine, they will improve with age. Certain wines don't improve with age, things like Sauvignon Blancs, which are supposed to be fresh and young and drunk lively, like 2006 vintage. Um, But some wines like a Chardonnay will improve with about two to six years, and definitely things like Rieslings, which will sell up to 15 or 20 years, or Semions, which will do the same thing. Uh, They actually change overnight during the the cellaring process. Uh, Like a Riesling will give you a toasty character that it turns into, fantastic drink if you've got a really good age Riesling. Reds obviously do the same thing. We have a lot of tannic bite in a red and when we talk about tannins in a a red wine, we're talking something when a a lot of red wines are made and they're very young they'll have like a million spiky balls in there which are your tannins. The purpose of cellaring a wine is to lay the wine down to get those tannins to form long, smooth, silky chains and this is what improves the wine and makes it softer and smoother over a period of time so we want to sell it to improve that wine's condition and either we look at short-term cellaring depending on the quality of wine or we look at something long-term so if we're looking at big wines like yeah. Penfolds Grange and Hiller Grace and some of those bigger 
more structured wines, we want to put those away for a longer period of time to really get the best out of them. The other end of the scale is also when we get a wine, it's very fruit-driven at the, the front of the palate, and the wood characters don't really dominate that much. What we want is the fruit and the wood to marry up after a certain period of time, and that's when we get it at its optimum cellaring peak. Once we leave it too long, though, the fruit seems to drop away on the front of the palate and the wood characters dominate and take over. And quite often what we can get is these old leathery characteristics that um, some people really like that in a wine. I think they're a little bit detrimental myself. I, I like a bit of just the catching the wine at the right time with the fruit and the wood balanced out. But uh, it's up to the, the individual and the way that they drink them. And are there any basic rules that we have to follow to, to, to reach that optimum? Yeah, there are a lot of basic rules with wine cellaring. Um, as I was just discussing, like where you've got your wine stored is very, very important. So if you've got it in the lounge room, on the wine racks, might look fantastic, but it's being subject to heat if you've got uh, ducted heating or <laughs> yeah. the house is heating up um, and going cold again in winter. Um, that makes a big difference. We've also got to look at... Um, cellaring conditions as far as light because that can be detrimental to wine especially uh, uh, direct sunlight di- yeah well direct sunlight will really kill a wine off but also um, fluorescent light as well yeah. will have a detrimental effect so you want your wine to be kept in the dark stored without moving a common housewife's tale is to rotate wine every three months or six months that's bad. <laughs> Slap on the wrist. You want really wanted to keep it still. I tend to store it with the label up, and I tend to store it on a very slight angle with just a bubble in the top shoulder rather than having it stored downwards. What this does is when I pull the wine out for decanting later on, I make sure that then the, the sediment has actually fallen to the bottom of the bottle. Okay. And uh, when you, you take the bottle out after decanting for... Oh, sorry, for storing for 10 years and you want to decant, you stand it up slowly, leave it for 24 hours. The sediment will then run into the punt in the end of the bottom mm. and then what you should do is slowly decant the wine into a jug or a container and if you run a light just under the neck as you decant, you'll actually see that sediment come up through the neck and then you can stop. You'll have about 8 or 10 mil left in and what you get is a good, clean drink. Yeah. I mean, if you're very fussy, if it's a $200 wine and you want to pour the last bit through a tea strainer. <laughs> but uh, um, it basically ensures a good wine. So simple rules are cellaring temperature should be about 15 degrees static. 14 to 17 degrees is allowable. But once your wine goes under 10 degrees, it retards the maturation and if it goes over 20 degrees, it forwards the maturation. Right. So what you have to look at is the actual place that you store the wine shouldn't have too much fluctuation. And if you just get a temperature gauge and check your temps at certain times during the, the day or three or four times a day over a couple of day period, it will give you a good fluctuation indication. And also do it in the summer and do it in the winter. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you've got a great underground area that sort of sits on that temperature that's fantastic um i don't advise cellaring just under the house unless you've got a good area question yeah Yeah. because a lot of people do tend to throw wines under the house in cardboard boxes the cardboard boxes can be some insulation against the wine but you have to watch if you've just stored them in 
racks or something like that because you get snails eat the labels and you <laughs> watch your grange and, and watch the $10.99 pen folds. Yeah. Um, so, and also you do get a lot of fluctuation within winter. Your house gets quite cold underneath. So unless you've got a stored area that will not fluctuate too much, that's very important. Good things that can really help you within the home, uh, cellaring, I've got a wine fridge at home, which are quite cheap nowadays. If you go to places like um, some of the supermarket, big supermarket shops, you can pick them up for under $200 now for 30 bottle wine fridges. Mine's 24 bottles, sits on 15 degrees, has done for the last three years. It's magnificent. And I just keep some of the bigger wines in there and it's a great way to do it. Both red and white? Both red and white. Um, the other thing that I do is I went to the greengrocer. I bought, uh, or I didn't buy, they actually gave me some big white uh, veggie containers with the lids on them. Right. And they're also very good storage. And I just put those behind, uh, next to my wine fridge. And I've measured them temperature-wise. They tend to keep the wines very cool even in the summer. Um, tend to sit them on that 15 degrees. So that's a cheap alternative. Now, you can go into... Um, larger wine fridges, anything up to some of the Eurocay fridges, which are like $8,000 or whatever, but they will hold a lot more capacity. So it just depends on what budget you run on. Yeah. You know, and, of course, if you want to go into extreme <laughs> extravagance, you can build an underground cellar. Um, other things we have to be aware of with our cellar conditions are odours. So don't store your wines down the bottom of the pantry because if you've got the onions down there as well, corks, are a drinkable product and they will drink air in but they'll also drink in odours so you don't want a lovely 2002 Shiraz that you've stored for 10 years that tastes like onions so (laughs) um, that's another thing that you need to watch as well and uh, if you observe all those basic rules and timeline your wines so that you don't sit them there too long and they do fall over at the end of the day but timeline them so you can say, I've got six bottles of something or three bottles of something. Let's pull it out after six months or two years or whatever and try that wine and see how it's progressed. Mm. If you find that it's starting to age and mature, then you've got to say, well, I'm going to drink that within the next 12 months because it's going to fall over. So I get a lot of people that come in nowadays, and I think we were talking about this in previous shows, and... They say, oh, I've got this wine from 1990 or 1980 that's just fallen over. And um, so there's not as much cellaring times on wine nowadays, I feel, because they're made to drink now a bit yeah. more faster. I put most wines two to six years on reds or two to eight years at extreme. Some of the bigger wines will go 10 to 15 years. Um, that's just my gut feeling on most of the wines that I've tried and seen cellaring wise and does it matter if they're corked or screw caps? well corks and screw caps are um, two different kettles of fish now now we're seeing a lot more longevity with stelvin caps or screw caps Mm. and what we're seeing is and I don't think the actual market's really sure because stelvins have only they've been around since a a long time but they're only really on the market the last few years and what happened was the New Zealand wine market were actually the instigators of these things 
in recent years and they're putting them on all their sad blonks because it was just easy to open and yeah. and then the uh, Australian market has followed suit and we had a lot of resistance at the start because everyone said all oh, the theatre's gone of taking out the cork out of the bottle <laughs> and people have got past that now and said it's actually a great idea I like yeah. opening myself and cap and it's easy and I just screw it back on and it keeps my wine for a couple of days and um, I think that what we're seeing also is greater longevity out of Stelvin Caps. And uh, Henschke did tests of their 1995 Mount uh, Edelston, and what they did was they put half under screw cap and half under Stelvin Cap. Uh, sorry, my apologies. They did half under cork and half under Stelvin Cap. And when they tested the two wines side by side, they pulled the corked ones out first and found obvious oak age characters through the maturity and development of the wine when they open up the stelvin caps they're all fresh as a daisy mm. so it's proving that the, the stelvins are keeping wines younger longer and what we're also seeing now is some producers are actually pre-oxidizing stelvin caps to kick start them to get them to to sell them better and mm. and mature a bit more in in the cellar so uh, yeah, there is a big difference and, and with wines, with both cork versus stelvin. Me, I'm a stelvin lover. Um, cork, the big problem with corks are uh, one in every... Well, this is what the industry used to say, is one in every 50 wines are corked. It's more like three in every 50 wines are corked. Can you just explain? Yeah, corking cork? is... Or, or what corked is, it's called TCA, which is trichloranosol, which is its technical term, and it's a, an invisible bug that's all around on the ground. And what happens is when they strip the bark off of the trees in Portugal where they make the corks, they throw the bark on the ground and it picks up this TCA. Now, they've nev never really had full testing programs that can pick up badly affected corks. So the corks get all produced and go into the wines and then randomly we'll get wines that will pull the cork out of the wine and we get these wet dog or wet cardboard or musty sort of odours that come through onto the wine. Now, if you, it's really, really badly cork tainted, we'll pick it up straight away. And even the most basic novice will pick up a wine and go, that's not right. Mm. But what we get are some mildly affected cork tainted wines that only the trained nose will pick up and the novice punter will drink that wine and say, oh, that was terrible, yeah. didn't really like it, won't buy that again. But what they've actually had is a cork wine, but they haven't picked that up. So um, this is the problem with corks. And this is and me, I've had a million corked wines out of my own cellar. One night I remember opening four in a row, oh. a different stuff, and... All around twenty five dollars, and just in the sheer frustration, opened an eighty dollar bottle of wine because I'm drinking something good. Um, but and was that cool? Yeah, no, that was fine. <laughs> but there's nothing worse than storing something for ten years, and you pull it out of the cellar, and you pull the cork out of it, and it's shot to pieces, and you can't get it back because no. you can't get that vintage again. So that's why I love Stelvin so much. I know that at the end of the day that Stelvin product is going to be such a good wine in 10 years' time. Um, I'm not going to have any problems with it. Fantastic. And uh, I see you brought some goodies along for us tonight. We, yes, yeah. We've brought in uh, um, 
some basic wines. I thought after all the exotic stuff that we've done the last two months, I thought I'd go back to basics. Um, I've done a bit of a Barossa feature tonight, so I thought what we'd do is look at uh, a few different wineries that are producing in the Barossa. And are these Stelvin and Cork? These are, yeah, Stelvin and Cork. And um, the first one I've actually brought along is a Riesling. Now, it's made by a Barossa winery, but it's produced out of Eden Valley, which is the classic region for Riesling. So we're going to look at um, St John's um, Eden Valley Riesling. And uh, this is a great little winery I've just discovered this year. And so I've brought along a few of their wines for us to have a look at. Uh, quite taken with this wine when I first tried it. It's typical Riesling, aromatic, bright, pale straw colour. It's got a brilliant sheen about it. Uh, the bouquet just displays essence of Riesling, which is lemons, limes, citrusy characters. It's got a little bit of chalky, flinty minerals and green apples which is a, a nice flavour. It doesn't have what you get on some Rieslings, which is that petrol or kerosene character, mm. which I think is a bit of a detriment. It, to me, some people like it. I think it's a bit of a winemaking fault myself. So I tend to like cleaner Rieslings that don't have that character. Um, the palate of this has got an excellent weight and it's flavoursome. It's got very intense lime and steely acidity. It's just clean, crisp finish and a seamless structure. I really enjoyed it when I tried it. Uh, I'm looking at about $16.99, so great little product for the, um, value, for the market. Value for money. Yep. Um, and is that a Stelvin? That's a Stelvin cap, yeah. Yep, yep. So that most of the whites we're finding nowadays are in Stelvin cap, so you can be assured of something fresh and young. And it will really sell it quite well, so quite a good little wine. Um, next I bought along some of the reds from this same winery. This is... Again, St. John's Road. And the first one I brought along is called their Blood and Courage um, Shiraz. Yep. This is Barossa, and it's made in Granite Creek, which is one of the really premium areas. I've got to say, this guy who makes these wines, Ralph Binder, he's an absolute icon out of the Barossa. And uh, I've tried some of his other wines as before, and he makes a f- quite a few good ones. One called Veritas Hainish, which is... Uh, a bit of an icon up in about the 350 mark. So, <laughs> uh, but this one's a, a great little wine. It's about $20 mark. Um, we ta- actually tasted this last weekend in the shop and mm. uh, got great response from all the punters. Again, vibrant, very dark purple hued. It's got strong blackberry, spicy blueberry and boysenberry on the nose and it's just a typical fully ripened Barossa Shiraz on the palate, we see nutmeg, vanilla, fennel, dry roasted almond notes from the oak barrel maturation. It's got intense blackberry fruit flavours and it's a very full, generous palate. Um, we see a, a very mellow acidity and velvety tannins and a bit of coffee and clove flavours just on the finish to top it off. So, very layered, textured. Um, it's won awards in the New Zealand International Wine Show in 2006. It won a gold medal and two trophies, and also won Breast, sorry, Best Shiraz and Wine of Show. Uh, it also won a silver in the Perth Agricultural Show and a bronze in the Royal Adelaide. So uh, a lot of wine writers have written about it and given it some top marks. And, yeah, we were very impressed with it when we tried it. Excellent. Uh, 
Next and, one. And, sorry, and again, a Stelvin cap? Yeah, no. Yeah, this is Stelvin. And the next one I've brought along is a cork. Right. So this is the same winery again. And this is the uh, Julia Granite Creek Shiraz. Now, this is up one notch, but it's only $27. So not tremendously high retail price. It's received 94 points out of 100 from James Halliday, who's one of our iconic wine writers again in Australia. And it's a classic Granite Creek Shiraz, intense palette of chocolate, ripe plum, blackberry, ripe and spicy fruit fruit flavours that combine with earthy minerals, a bit of saffron and integrated oak in there, and a juicy, dense, textured wine that features classy tannins which will develop for some years to come and that's also won a gold medal in the New Zealand wine show on a silver and Barossa so that was my my pick of the three wines actually the Shiraz the Julia's is just sensational for the money and um, just on a, a further note Halliday has written that up as a five-star rating for the winery itself uh-huh. uh, and Max Allen who's one of the other great wine writers around has uh, stated that it's one of the most impressive new Barossa-based labels that I've come across recently. And I have to agree with him because it's one of the most impressive I've seen as well. So, uh, quite good. And I just thought I'd do one more red while I'm on Barossa because these guys are just fascinating. And this was my wine pick of the year last year. Right. Um, $32.99 is the price. The wine is called Fox Gordon from Barossa Valley as well. Yep. Uh, made by Natasha Mooney, who used to be the E&E Black Pepper winemaker and also made Xanadu wines, and she also was involved with Penfolds. Now, the Fox and the Gordon are her girlfriends, and they've actually backed her into the winery, and she only makes about four or five different wines, all reds, um, all very impressive. I've actually bought these for my own cellar. Yeah. Um, the first one I tried was the 04 Eight Uncle Shiraz, which I had when I was away down the beach, and it just blew me away. I couldn't believe the quality of it. And I bought some for my own cellar, and that's just sitting away for a couple of years. <laughs> and I also bought some Eight Uncle, uh, sorry, um, some Hannah's Swing, which is the higher label, and that's the 03, and I've Put that away as well. I found that was very big, rich, and porty and dense. Um, so I'm looking forward to actually trying the next vin- next vintage of that. Yeah. And there's a cabernet she makes named King Louis. These are named after her children as well. I found out. <laughs> and uh, the King Louis is absolutely fantastic. Love that. I've bought some of that and put that away as well. Um, but the wine I'm going to feature tonight is actually the 05 Fox Gordon Eight Uncle Shiraz. This is a new release. Mm. I feel it's better than the 04. 05 has been a sensational vintage. Um, I think this is going to be, again, one of those absolutely cracker standout wines of the year. Um, it's taken from one of the Penfolds Grange Growers vineyards, some of the fruit, mm. and also from the E&E Black Pepper vineyard. So the quality is quite high, and uh we're seeing a wine at that price that it should really be up in the $70, $80 mark because it's it's a fabulous drink for the money. And uh, we've had it on feature here for the last month as my wine of the month. And everyone that's tried it's come back raving about it. So, wow. um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with it. And uh, I think Natasha's done an absolutely fabulous job with this wine. 
Um, so for our listeners, it's called again? It's Fox Gordon, Eight Uncles Shiraz. And uh, yeah, just sensational. It's really densely layered Shiraz, which is what good Barossa should be like. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just got all those wonderful characters that you look for, like the blackberries, the chocolates. It's stunning. Um, I, I just yeah, can't rave enough about it. So if anyone wants to try a really outstanding wine at value for money, this is absolutely it. Box Gordon, 05, eight uncles. Wise words. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now, I see you've got a couple of beers um, to finish up with. Yeah, I have. I've bought along, um, I've actually bought three beers, and uh, the first two beers I thought I'd talk about, uh, these are only new in the shop. This is Melbourne's newest brewer called Emerald Hill, and uh, Carl out at Emerald Hill is producing uh, pale ale and wheat beer. And we've had both running in the shop now for the last month. Fabulous beers. Um, he's actually just cleaned up the Australian Beer Awards and won two silver medals and two bronze medals. Mm-hmm. And if you want a really good pale ale that's down to earth, tastes like pale ale, should be, got plenty of nice rich characters about it, then this is it. The wheat beer I was very impressed with as well. Um, great little wheaty. They've got really good down-to-earth flavours and that's what makes them so interesting and uh, I tried both he gave me a couple of sample bottles and just said these are fantastic and put them in the shop straight away so highly recommendable Um, we'll have some photos on the site of course that you can look at and uh, if you like those styles they're definitely the go last beer I've brought along is Saint Arnoux and this is a small premium brewery from uh based in Sydney. It's a blonde beer that they produce, so they are going to produce some more in the future. Very clean, Pilsner style, crisp, uh, has all the nice things that you look for in a, a good beer of this style. Easy drinking, great summer beer, but I've had a few over the <laughs> last few months in the colder weather and found them that it's it, just been great little drops, so just easy knockover um, and very impressive. So, again, something that's just easy drinking, great value for money. Their packaging's the best I've ever seen. They've got a little carry carton that just the beer will not fall out, and you can take three or four beers out of there and they'll still stand up. Oh, um, Yeah, one of the best packages I've seen on the market today. But the, the product inside is what's important, and <laughs> the product's very impressive as well. So, highly recommended, St. Arnoux. Thank you, Greg. My pleasure, Richard. Again, it's always a pleasure coming to visit you in your studio here. And uh, episode four, we're going to be talking about uh, global warming. Yes, yeah, definitely a big uh, issue nowadays. Changing conditions. Yeah. So until then, thank you very much again, Greg, and uh, have a lovely night. Thanks again, Richard. Uh, Much, much appreciated. See you later. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, Thanks go to Greg and everyone at Doc Slicker. If you would like to contact Docs directly, they have stores in Bulwer North and Ringwood North, both in Victoria. You can call them on 03-9859-1111 or 03-9879-9200. And please be sure to tell them that Greg sent you. Docs also have a blog with all of the latest news and information. You can find that at docslicker.bigblog.com.au. Osler's a great mind is published every month. So, if you like this podcast, please 
be sure to subscribe to the feed through iTunes and others. Full details on how to do that, as well as the topics covered in this episode, contact details, past episodes and notes on future episodes can be found at www.ozleisure.com.au forward slash grapevine. If you have any comments on the show or suggestions for future shows, then please send us an email to grapevine at ozleisure.com.au. We want to produce the content that you want to hear. Thanks for listening. This is Richard Maguire for ozleisure.com.au, your guide to Australian holiday and leisure activities. Until next time, see you later. It's a fine time to have a drink. Maybe with some mates for a date sounds good now, don't you think? Forget the world, don't worry about money. Let's be pleasure seekers, honey. And let's check the grapevine for advice. Oh, yes, indeed. A frosty beverage might be what you really need. Will it be red or white? Which way to go? It all looks good tonight. Let's check the grapevine for advice. <laughs>